Yo, this is the Ancient Texan. Guess what? You don't like inflation. Inflation's bad. Don't want any of this inflation stuff. But have you thought about the fact that inflation might like be the same as pain? You don't like pain. But pain's trying to tell you that you're doing something... You shouldn't be doing. You kick the bedpost with your bare feet, stub your toe, and it hurts. Pain's a way of telling you to stop kicking the bedpost. So, when we look at inflation right now, it didn't just happen. It, it's, it's actually a mathematical consequence with money and our actions around the exchange of money with other people. That's kind of a statement. But uh, let me see if I can blow that, flush that out as they say. And I also think, and I started to do this this podcast about the upcoming recession and what it's going to teach us. Yep, I'm almost convinced there's no way we can escape a recession right now. But a recession is also a way of telling us something's wrong. But right now, we're going to do this podcast or this YouTube video on what inflation is trying to tell us. And it's always a little interpretive, and there's a lot of um, multifaceted reasons, but using the Pareto principle, we're going to pick out the top two or three things that inflation is trying, to be t- is trying to tell us right now. And... You're probably not going to like them any more than you like the pain. Inflation is kind of the system trying to correct itself. It's out of balance. Uh, I do process control, and you can crank the knobs and try to make things go a certain way. But you can only do that if if you're cooperating with uh, a reaction or or mother nature in the grander sense of things. Inflation is kind of like a relief valve on your pot of tea. It's when that whistle goes off and says something's wrong. That's inflation. So let's... Inflation's come from a, a lot of different sources all at the same time. First, there's the printing of money that's kind of devalued our currency. We're always saying we have a strong currency compared to the other nations. But guess what? They're printing money too. And we're not by far the worst. Uh, China, China is printing a lot more money and have a lot more debt than we do. A lot of places are doing the same thing. So 
when we say we have a strong currency, it's only a strong currency relative to other people whose fiat currencies, which are currencies based on trust in a government. And in some ways, there's no way in hell we should be trusting the governments because they're not doing basic economic stuff. So it eventually comes out mathematically. Inflation is one of the ways that nature corrects itself. Okay, we devalued our currency. Let's just go recent history, but we've been doing this a long time, and it's not, it's on both sides of the aisle, so don't get too noble here. Uh, Trump tax cut. We don't have to pay for stuff. We can do deficit spending, but we started a long time before that. Biden, but these are just recent ones. The big, you know, cash bonuses to everybody during... COVID, the pandemic, trillion dollar cash bonuses, that was like printing money. The Fed doing quantitative easing, that's, the Fed was buying bonds and keeping the money supply cheap. It's almost by definition he was devaluating the currency. And it took, it's a big ship. It's a, you know, $50 trillion ship, United States currency. And so it takes a while to start seeing the effects. And just general debt expands the money supply. All of that's making more money, creating more currency, creating more money in the case of debt. Um, that devaluates the currency. So the currency's worth less, it buys less. That's one component of inflation. So we've been doing that a long time. So what's inflation telling us? You got it? It's telling us you don't get something for nothing. We can choose to pay for the, the things we buy with either our salary or we put it on a credit card, our government can do the same thing. It can choose to pay for it by having the income, the tax revenues, what are the you know, revenues they have, and have their expenditures covered by the revenues, or they can just print money or create debt which also is a form of money. And if they choose the print money or create debt, it puts pressure on our currency, uh, the mathematical correction that, I don't know if you call this mother nature or economic nature, results in the currency being less valuable, less able to buy stuff. So, number one, we cheapened our currency by expecting something for nothing. Or, the other thing is, we'll pay for it later. Inflation is saying, we got tired of waiting for you to pay for it, and you're not getting something for nothing. So, when you see 
inflation, listen to what it's saying to you and to me. We're having another kind of inflation going on at the same time, which is why this is all hard. We have a supply shortage, and everybody's heard about the supply chains. Well, that just means we have raw materials and finished goods that we need to put into our products, like you need a, a chip, a semiconductor to put into your car so you can sell your car. Or you need steel to put into your car to sell your car. Or you need copper wiring to put in your electric car to sell your electric car. Those supply chains are not just the chain. That's just kind of the means to get it from point A to point B. But it's a supply that we're missing to put into our product that we need to sell. So what is inflation says saying? It's saying we do not have control of our supply. Couldn't get masks during COVID because all the masks were made in China. And when COVID came, are the Chinese going to take care of themselves first or us? We put our dependence in someone else for a supply we need. Globalization, we've transferred our needed supplies all over the world, even when we might be sitting on some right here, which is the NIMBY problem. So inflation is saying we have a problem with getting the raw materials and manufactured materials for our products for our consumption. And this goes all the way from, you know, ore out of the ground to manufactured goods to grown goods. But there, there's some sub-chapters here that are uh, also very important. There are subtopics. When we say that we're not going to do copper smelting here, copper mining, because we don't want our country to be dirty. We want someone else to pollute the planet. We don't care how bad they pollute it, because we're going to just turn our eyes and pretend like it doesn't happen. We're going to send it to a place where we don't care what their environmental things are, because we don't do dirty stuff here. We're too good for that. We'll pay someone else to do our dirty work. Well... When we do that, we also forget how to do that. How many people do you know that knows anything about copper smelting? You're making copper wire. I bet most of you don't, except they're listening to me, uh, I bet you don't know many people that know how to do any of that kind of stuff. It's not even taught in the schools anymore. There's not even professors around that know. They wanted a professor <laughs> that knows. I know where they could find one, but I don't... A few. Canada's got quite a few. Australia's got quite a few. America, not so much. So, in our supply chain, 
part of the supply required is there's a knowledge component, education required. We've also lost that. And that part is very difficult to replace in the short haul. Who's going to teach the teachers? So when you see inflation, there's a supply problem. It's a buy-off and globalization and letting someone else be in charge of things you need for your way of life. Inflation is going, we need to have some of that. We need to have a little garden out in our backyard. So let, let's go to a close cousin of just the general supply problem. To looking at, I've got a little outline over here on the left that I'm trying to make my my phone cooperate and move up on. Let's see if I can just remember it. Okay, now let's look at food. That's a specific supply problem. Well, we're having a problem with food because we're doing a war thing with uh, Russia. And Ukraine's grains are not hitting the the market. They're being kept by blockades from Russia. Well, that's not going to hurt us here in America. So it's kind of like, you know, not in my backyard. It's okay to happen. Uh, that's because, you know, obviously Americans are more valuable people than the people that are going to be starving. That's the assumption behind that. There are people that's bought off on the supply chain concept and getting it from somewhere else that food is involved. A lot of people in Africa don't grow their own food anymore. They depend on buying their food from somewhere else, which is um, understandable to an extent because Ukraine has really fertile land have a lot of open land, good rain, good place to grow food, so they can grow it cheaper. They also have big farms that are mechanized, where in Africa there are smaller farms that are hand labor, and so the food out of there is more expensive. Well, that's good up to a point, except when someone cuts your food off. Then, if you don't know how to grow your own food, I would say you're in serious problems. But that's a choice that we've made in buying off on globalization without any conditions. I don't think it's necessarily all bad. I think it's a good thing that there's cheap stuff in Walmart for us to buy from China. To an extent. But you have to ask yourself, how critical is this material, and do we trust the supplier? I actually think the tariffs, which I've been against my whole life, is a way of saying this, it's important that we make some aluminum, some steel in our country, and we're going to give 
a little bit of edge. I don't think you go crazy, but a you know 10, 20 percent uh, edge to your own domestic producers because um, they live in an environment that's much more difficult with permitting, environmental controls, paying their people. So we think those are all good things. So a tariff is a way of supporting things being done locally and in a manner that we think is responsible. But it starts with asking ourselves, is this supply, is this raw material strategic? If we get cut off from it, how much pain are we going to feel? For instance, right now with food, Africa, people not been able to grow their own food. The pain is immense. You starve to death, you die. It doesn't get much worse than that. But the same basic question has to be asked about aluminum and copper and lithium and cobalt. All the things we need for our green economy. Okay, so food is expensive. The price is increasing. Inflation. Well, what is it saying? It's saying that we've depended on others to supply our food. And in this case, it's not so much us, although there's a little bit of that going on in the U.S. But it's a lot of the world has depended on someone else to grow their food and by not having some domestic production, I, I would think in food you want to be like over 50% because you can tighten your belt a lot, but you can't tighten your belt 100%. So we have to ask ourselves in semiconductors, how much do we want to depend on Taiwan, who makes most of the semiconductors? And if China invades them someday, knocks Taiwan off out of production, which they will, they have a war to take over Taiwan, semiconductors will go away. Even if we help Taiwan, even if we're successful in helping Taiwan, semiconductors will go away. Well, the U.S. has figured this out, duh. And we actually have some semiconductor plants um, under production by the company that uh, is in charge of Taiwan semiconductors. I.e., the knowledge is now over there. Intel used to be the knowledge guys, but now it went over there. We have to have someone from the outside. The gap there isn't probably so big that we can't close it down and if you get a factory working over here people will work in the factory and then they'll go back to Intel people move around knowledge moves around despite all the confidentiality agreements in the world it just our mobile work environment you just can't keep it, it, it it's a joke you, you just can't protect technology only way you protect your technology is to keep moving and keep ahead. You just stay. I'm digressing, but it's an important point.
So food, the inflation associated with food, there's a lesson there. You just kick the bed, bed post, your toes hurt. The lesson is you can't depend on someone else to grow all your food. Okay, let's look at energy. Another lesson. Kick that bedpost again. Harder this time. Because we really... Well, I don't know if anything's worse than food, except it doesn't have to be affecting us. And since we know that American lives are more important, then energy is more important. <laughs> I hope you guys understand my sarcasm. Um, energy. Going green. A lot of going green. About 90% of it is energy. And we act like we have a plan. We don't. And I'll just... You've probably heard me say this before, so you're probably tired of it. But... What's... Where is most of the future CO2 going to come from and what is in environmental pollution mostly going to come from looking out in the future it's from building cold power power plants they're putting them up fast still in China and India if you want to help the planet go green that's got, you know, if you know the Pareto principle that says, you know, out of a list, 20% of the items on the list make up 80% of the problem. Coal is one of those things. We're not building coal power plants in the U.S. and we're actually shutting ours down. So if we want to spend our bucks to help the planet go green, you have to spend them on helping India in China, stop building coal-powered plants. Don't, yep, it'd be nice to buy more electric cars over here, but that's not going to slow down the amount of CO2 going into the air nearly as fast as it's going up from people building coal-powered plants. So, how can we impact them building coal power plants? By upping the production of natural gas. Natural gas is much cleaner than coal, puts much less CO2 into the air. Coal, burning carbon, carbon plus oxygen, CO2. Methane, CH4, putting one carbon in and then you're putting the carbon goes to CO2 and the hydrogen goes to water vapor. And you get much more energy than just the coal, the carbon. So you're getting energy from both the carbon and the hydrogen. Uh, and you're getting, I didn't look up the math lately, but it's more than half, let's call it half the energies from hydrogen. And we can fine tune that number. So if you want to help the world, Go green, 
you want to make the environment, you want to save the polar bears, you up the production of methane all over the world. And you use that instead of CO2. What else do you do? Probably R&D into improving solar, wind, efficiency, therefore lowering the cost. And you also do R&D for the next generation of nuclear power plants, probably with thorium to get away from the environmental problems of uranium and the long half-life of the waste products. So when you see your, you know, gasoline price going up, energy prices going up, you just kick the bedpost. What else have you done? Kick it with your left foot now. Remember the Keystone Pipeline? Yeah, that dirty old pipeline that's spanning oil and gas production. Yep. So what? If it displaces coal, you've made a big impact, a positive impact on the world. Ideally, I know, you'd like to just switch over to solar panels over the whole planet. First, that takes a tremendous investment that most of the world can't afford. And B, the whole world is not suitable for solar and wind. Maybe we can get 30%. Maybe one day we can push that to 50%. We're like at 10% now. You're not going to get there in time to save your polar bear. Your polar bear is going to be dead. Your, so your polar bear is going to die. Because you can't do it fast enough. Technology just doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it's probably extremely optimistic. You might have a thorium power plant in five years, but that's, that's like me being stupid and ignoring how long it takes projects to get off the ground. Especially in the United States where you can't get a permit to spit. So, we're probably 10 years away from a thorium power plant. We're probably 20 years away to getting where people that not in my backyard crowd can be persuaded to do something good for the environment because it has the word radioactive thorium in the title. And that's bad because they don't know anything. They don't know enough. So, care about your polar bear? Kick the bed one more time with your left foot. Learn something. If you don't have a plan and you don't have your priorities with, with going green and realize that coal is like right at the top of the list and it doesn't matter if it's coal in your backyard or around on the other side of the world, that CO2 is going into the air and you're going to keep having global warming and your polar bear is going to be dead. 
That's just the way it is. Your polar bear is going to die. So, when you have inflation at the, at the gas pump, you've just kicked the bed again. Here's something else that you did. You told the energy companies to quit investing and exploring for oil and natural gas because, of course, that's the good thing to do. Well, it's not the good thing to do if you don't have anything else lined up. Now, in a way, it's good because you've jacked up the price of natural gas, gasoline, anything to do with fossil fuels so that makes it easier to justify solar you know spending money investments in solar and wind um, does it make it happen overnight nope still doesn't happen overnight it just physically is not possible to do those kind of changes like that so if you're environmentalist you should be really happy how much you're paying at the gas pump because you are incentivizing solar and wind however you're only incentivizing the technology that we know how to do today future technology not as much because People have to believe in the plan and in the future to invest long-term. And a lot of that kind of high-risk investment has got to come from the government and from R&D. We're not so much into doing that. So if your toes are hurting real bad from kicking the bed, when you go fill up your car, it's choices we made. You killed Keystone Pipelines. You told the, the Exxon companies not to explore, find new stuff. You know, the investors behind Exxon go... Why are you spending all this money looking for more natural gas and oil? on Because we've told the investors the same thing. We're going to switch over without having a plan and knowing how long it's going to take and where we're going and what our priorities are. And that's why your toe's hurting. And that's why your polar bear is going to die. And I've got some more on here, but I think I've probably said enough. So in the areas that you're having inflation, food, you know why that's happened, right? Food prices going up, it's a consequence of decisions we've made about growing and sourcing our own food. Energy. Inflation, you know why it's caused. We quit putting investment into it 
oil companies are making a big profit right now? Yeah, because they're quit investing their money into finding new stuff, and so they got a lot of money left over, and so they're buying back their own stock. That's another way of saying they're just like in coasting mode, which is on the short term good for profits. It's not so good when you don't do the development to find new sources, kind of like us not putting money into education. So you know why your food and energy is going up. And the third one, you know why your money isn't buying as much. Because we've been spending money we didn't have. We've been printing money we didn't have. And we've been doing quantitative easing, which is printing and then spending that money on artificially pumping up the bond market and the stock market. House prices is kind of a combination of all those factors put together. Raw materials. We also have another, I might as well throw one more in here. We have labor Inflation is just starting to happen. One is we haven't been paying people for a long time and there's some catch-up going now that there's a little bit of shortage. But there's also a labor shortage of critical skills. If you're going to go back in manufacturing, you know people that are electricians, know how to weld, metal workers, sheet metal workers, um, carpenters, pipe fitters, getting to, you know, the hospital or something, you need skilled technicians there too, someone to take your, knows how to run an x-ray machine. We've neglected the education of our technical skills because we've been getting away from manufacturing and the professions that need a lot of those skills. So all of a sudden we want to go back into those skills and produce some stuff here at home. We don't have people that know how to do the work. It's another thing we should consider when we go nimby on our supply chain. So all the inflation we're seeing right now is like the pain you feel when you kick your bedpost. We've done things that have a consequence. Our foot hurts. The polar bear dies because we're doing things including, I'll admit, staying reliant on fossil fuels too long. But we still haven't passed a carbon tax, so we're still not serious in the U.S. No. Carbon tax lets the market decide the best way. It allows entrepreneurs 
it allows the geniuses among us to come up with ways to fix it. Passing the law or subsidizing electric cars, not necessarily bad, it might even be a good thing, but it has nothing like the potential of a carbon tax that tells the market and tells the geniuses among us which way we're going and that we're committed to it. And the polar bear, may he rest in peace because most of us are having, experiencing inflation and we're not stopping to think why we're in pain what lessons are there for us to learn. Well, that's my two cents. Makes me feel better. <laughs> All ten people of you that, you know, listen to this podcast or um, YouTube video. Maybe all twenty of us now feel better. That's okay. It's my little two-cent contribution to the universe. Anyway, I hope you have a good day. And every time you see some inflation, try to think about the pain on your toe and what it's telling you. What it's telling you that you should be doing and what it's telling you that you shouldn't be doing. I think of those poor polar bears that are going to die because we as humans don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> and we can't compromise and we can't work together anymore. Polar bear is going to be the first victim of that problem. Well, the symbolic polar bear. Nature everywhere. Maybe the people starving in Africa because they don't have uh, wheat. Anyway, this is the ancient Texan with asking you to think about the consequences of your actions and how they make your toe hurt when you kick the bedpost. Think of this whole chain of thoughts next time you experience inflation. This is the ancient Texan. Namaste.